Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't But You Do. Stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We are a motivational storytelling and training company where we provide enabling tools to empower you to do what most people don't. Today, we have an incredible guest. When you talk about a lady, a professional that goes above and beyond, our guest is Miss Christine Duffy, president of Carnival Cruise Line. I'm gonna read a little bit about her background, about her bio, and then we will dive right into questions. And uh, as I was doing some research, uh, continue to learn things, not only about Christine, but about her current company. So Carnival Cruise Line is the flagship brand of the global cruise industry leader, Carnival Corp, the world's largest leisure travel company. She's been in this role for a little over six years. Before that, president and CEO of Cruise Lines International Association, also known as CLIA. Uh, she was past president of Merit's Travel Company for six years with the company in total for about 10, and president and chief operating officer of McGettigan Partners for 19 years uh, based out of Philadelphia and some other wonderful things that I will insert along the way. But enough of me talking. Christine, welcome to uh, Most People Don't But You Do podcast. Thank you, Bart. Excited to join you. And and I was uh, we were talking just previously to the broadcast is that she and I met, Christine, you and I met in Philadelphia when McGettigan Partners was launching Starsight, part of the technology company. And I'll never forget, right, coming up from Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia often, um, having a chance to hear you speak, hear you address the group. But back then, it was so revolutionary, uh, the internet, when you think about it. And it, this was, you know, 1998, 1999 or so. And look at where we are now. So anyway, so thrilled to be able to chat with you. And I would like just to jump into some questions, Christine. Um, you as an incredible leader of people, as a culture creator, can you tell us a little bit about growing up? Where did you grow up? Tell us about your siblings and the early influences. So I grew up in Philadelphia in the city and uh, grew up with a younger sister. So she's two and a half years younger than me. We're very close. Um, our mother is from France. So all of our relatives and her family uh, are in France. She was the only one that, that came to the US. So uh, it's interesting. Our grandmother lived with us for a little bit of time. My sister was actually born in France. So at a very young age, I uh, had the opportunity to travel. Um, so I speak French fluently. I'm dual citizen of US and France. And so in the summers, we would often go and spend time with our relatives. And I think that's really where I got my passion for travel and just uh, love meeting new people and going to different places. And so from a very young age, I knew I wanted to do something in the travel industry. Of course, uh, uh, there's been lots of twists and turns along the way, but my mom who is uh, now 86, uh, is, uh, is, uh, you know, still, still doing well. And, uh, you know, we have a very close family. I, 
you know, grew up uh, in a in a great neighborhood. Uh, married uh, my husband of forty years, who grew up around the corner from us. My mother used to give sewing lessons to women in the neighborhood in our basement, and uh, my husband's mother and sisters were among her students. So, uh, a, a real Philadelphia kind of story. Yeah, what and what a great story. Marrying a neighborhood sweetheart. Uh, in together 40 years. Congratulations. And so happy to hear about your mother and her good health. My mother is also 86 and uh, in, in good health as well. Does your mother still live in the Philadelphia area? Uh, yes, outside of Philadelphia in Huntington Valley, which is where we ultimately all moved, my sister and me. And uh, But we have a home here in Cape May, New Jersey, which is where I am. And that's really my, I'll say, uh, happy place. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, uh, now I live in Miami, so uh, where Carnival Cruise Line and Carnival Corporation is headquartered. So I'm really, really blessed with a lot of great and very different places uh, that I get to spend time in. Yeah. And Christine, what I love about this podcast is that, you know, I'm fortunate to be connected to you through different channels. Uh, but a lot of individuals would not have asked the question that I just asked, nor learned the answer. I had no idea that you had dual citizenship. I had no idea that you speak French fluently. So I just, it, this is really incredible because hopefully through these questions, we'll be able to get a sense of what has, um, what has influenced you to create you as a leader. You've done some amazing things. But those are lessons that other people that are listening, and this will go to approximately 20,000 people of, well, you know what, maybe I need to take some chances because I remember when I listened to Christine Duffy, this is what she shared. Uh, I want to go back to the question with regard to your mother. Um, so when she was doing sewing lessons, was that her full-time job? Is that what she did to, to earn income for the family? Pretty much. She made dresses, wedding gowns and, uh, you know, worked out of our our house. And um, our dad, my father was uh, Italian and uh, he uh, my, my grandparents lived close by. We could walk to their house. We were all very close. My mom and dad um, separated when I was 15. So we were literally like that old TV show one day at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, single and my mother is blonde with blue eyes so my sister and I look nothing like my mother but we were we used to think we were like that tv show and we had a handyman that would come around and help my mom out with things that would break in the break in the house <laughs> oh, oh my gosh incredible so the it, it sounds very entrepreneur like that, that she was doing whatever it's took in order to survive raise you and your uh, your sister um, what kind of values did she instill? Like, what did you well, notice about my, my mother is incredibly creative. So she really was a fashion designer and literally made unbelievable wedding gowns and clothing. And um, we always had a beautiful home. And she was, you know, very, very much what you think about a glamorous French woman. Mm -hmm. And yet we grew up in a neighborhood in Philadelphia that was quite blue collar. And uh, we were a very small family. Most families in the neighborhood had six, seven, eight, ten kids. So, um, you know, we were always dressed in matching outfits. And so she wasn't as much of an entrepreneur as she was really someone that was incredibly creative. But I think what really shaped me a lot was the fact that my father left us mm -hmm. 
And then my mother really had to struggle and work very hard. And so I think I became determined that I would be very independent and not rely on anyone else um, for the things that that I you know wanted to accomplish or or have in life. No, so good, good, well, amazing, good, and of course, good for you. And I don't want that. That's not like a strange thing, but you know, your accomplishments, and you know, there's a couple of different awards of um, you know women in leadership. Um, recognized recently by the Women's Leading Travel and Hospitality of one of the top women in travel and hospitality. You're also a member of the Committee of 200, made up of the world's most successful women business leaders. So you certainly have been able to accomplish that. Um, how does your mother feel about what you've been able to do, if you don't mind sharing? She's so proud. I mean, and at 86, it's it's her physical health is fine, but you know, she's really struggles sometimes to just kind of keep up with conversations and her memory, but she loves reading stories where I'm quoted or there's my picture, and she's she's just very incredibly proud. I did not go to college. And so the fact that I'm in the role that I've had, uh, that I'm in now, and I've had the, the career that I've had makes her really, I think, very, very proud. And, you know, having an opportunity to help take care of her and um, is just really very, very gratifying. Oh, I'm so thrilled to, to hear that. Can you share with us her first name? Because you know, we're going to allow her to listen to this. We're going to make her oh, she'll, I'm sure she'll, she's not, she's not very technologically savvy. That's her okay. name is Janine. Janine. Okay, Janine. Janine. Well, uh, shout out to Janine. Okay. <laughs> very nice. And my sister yeah. is Marie Pierre. Uh, in, in it sounds Marie. much better in French, Marie-Pierre. All right, it does sound much better, and I'm not even going to try <laughs> to do my French accent, but um, love to hear about the influence of, of both of those women in your life, which is just so remarkable, and it reminds me that as, as we get older, uh, as professionals, that the influence of people in our lives, whether it's parents, whether it's siblings, whether it's mentors, and I will switch to a mentor question here in a moment, it's just so critically important. So I always like to ask that question. Are your, are your, is your mother aware of your accomplishments? And is she proud? So you'll laugh at this, Christine. Um, I had my mother on the podcast not that long ago. And physically, it's, uh, she's okay. Um, mentally, she's still really, really sharp. And I just wanted it to be a little bit of a legacy for her about, you know, I became who I am because of her influence. My father passed away seven years ago but because of them. So I love talking about family and getting to understand. And as you just shared the creativity, that if you were growing up in a, in, in a blue collar type of neighborhood, you probably never felt like you needed anything though. Did you feel glamorous? Did she allow you and help you to feel good? Or was it, um, or did you feel ever out of place from a money perspective? I'm just curious. Well, my mother, as I said, was very glamorous. So, you know, the outfits and the, and, and her friends, many of whom were her clients, uh, had, you know, lived in a very different lifestyle. So they had second homes, they had boats, they, and of course they had children and daughters that I became friends with. So I saw a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And when we would go back to France to visit with family, uh, that lifestyle was different. So I think 
I became more aware of the world and places outside of my own bubble of where I grew up. Although it was, you know, people worked hard and it was a great, a great, uh, great place to grow up. I mean, we walked to elementary school every day and walked home for lunch. And, you know, my husband has childhood friends that he's still friends with. Um, so, you know, it's, it, 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 but I was able to see that there was a much bigger world that I wanted to be part of. And I think it made me very driven um, and, and ambitious on the one hand. On the other hand, having said that, you'd think I would have studied really hard in high school and, and you know, gone to college, um, and I didn't. So in retrospect, uh, I don't know if uh, that was the right decision, but frankly, I think I've done pretty well. And uh... yeah, and what I think is so incredibly special about you, Christine, is that you never forgot where you grew up. You never forget, and I'm just uh, trying to summarize what you've just shared with us, is that you have a different perspective. You grew up Philadelphia, um, your, your mother sewed to make money. You, she made you feel glamorous and she was glamorous because you had nice clothes but you were able to travel to France and see that perspective. You had wealthy friends so you could see that perspective, but you have remained with the values of who you are. And when you think about your accomplishments, and again, I don't wanna embarrass you, but you're leading, is it 43,000 people? Like that is just amazing yet to be able to still have the connectivity and the approachability and the down to earth part I think is just really, really remarkable, which again, is one of the reasons why I wanted you to get you onto the podcast. C can you, Christine, talk about then, you know, being driven and ambitious. And I know that uh, I, I believe, right, with McGettigan Partners, you started as a travel agent and worked your way up to become the president and leader of that organization, McGettigan Partners. Um, what were you thinking at that point when you finished high school, were you like, okay, I want to get a job because I want to understand more about the world. I want to be able to travel more. Can you share us, share with us what was your thought process when you were finishing up high school and deciding to work for McGettigan, if I'm getting well, it Well, I actually, my, I wanted to be a Pan Am flight attendant. So my best friend growing up, her sister was a TWA flight attendant. And back in those days, as you know, Bart, being yeah. an international flight attendant was a glamorous, exciting job. You got to travel the world, and that's what I wanted to do. And I actually made it to the final round of interviews in New York at the Pan Am building. However, while I speak French fluently and I met all the criteria to get to that final round, um, you had to be five feet, four inches and they measured you and I wasn't. And so that kind of blew it. And from there, I, uh, I got a job at Rosenbluth Travel in Philadelphia on Walnut Street as a receptionist. And I was there for about six months and, uh, and was referred to uh, McGettigan from uh, someone at Rosenbluth and was hired uh, on the spot by Norbert McGettigan Sr., wow. who just recently passed away at age 94 and just an amazing, amazing human being, battle of the bulge, purple heart, um, a real stalwart in the community. 
And he hired me with no experience to be a travel agent, uh, $200 a week plus commission. And so that was where I got my start. Wow. And was it apparent right away that that's what you wanted to do? Because in 19 years with any company to be able to go from no experience really in travel to being the leader of that company, was it apparent right away that that's what you wanted to do and you would drive to reach the top? Was, was that your, was that your initial goal and thought when you started there? No, I think my, my initial goal was I wanted to be, I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted to be in the travel business. Um, I, you know, my goal was to be a, a, a travel agent and I went from there McGettigan uh, was in the group travel business. And so, you know, the role and the company evolved. And to your point about mentors um, at the time, in addition to Norbert McGettigan Sr., his daughter Mimi worked in the business, but John Pino, who was the CEO, who you know, when we spun <laughs> off Starsight, was a real visionary. And he was way ahead of his time. Uh, and he was the one that transitioned McGettigan from a travel agency to a corporate meeting and event uh, management company. And we met, began to handle major pharmaceutical company, financial services, um, meetings, large meetings, thousands of people, physician programs back in the day when, when pharmaceutical companies would host doctors mm -hmm. uh, or meetings and uh, continuing education. And, you know, we grew the company. When I started, I think there were 25 or 30 employees. And when we sold the business to Maritz back in 2001, we were, you know, probably um, close to 400 employees. We had offices in a number of uh, states around the country. We had done some acquisitions of other smaller businesses. So for me to have the opportunity over 20 years from where I started to where we ended was just really incredible. Yeah. In, in, I'm going to ask it one more time. Was it just, and I don't want that sound like a mean thing, I want to get to the to the root of so in 20 years you became the president was it that you just enjoyed so much what you were doing you said your goal was to be a travel agent you wanted to be able to travel so did it just naturally happen or were you thinking you know what i want to become a vice president with this company i want to become a president with this company no no, I think what I began to enjoy and learn and love was business. Mm -hmm. So I was very involved in sales, yeah. leading a sales team, hiring people, coaching people. Um, you know, I worked, I, I would say primarily on the commercial side mm -hmm. of the business in, you know, marketing and business development. And, but then, you know, I was, I was, you know, became VP at 30 and, you know, managed a lot of people and the company was growing. And so I realized that, yes, I love to travel, but I also really loved the reward uh, and accomplishment of running a growing business with entrepreneurs. It was a family business and being seeing that success was very, very satisfying. 
in the reason why I, again, I was kind of pressing on that is that, you know, and you and I shared just recently that I had talked to Simon Cooper, past president of Ritz Carlton, and a statement that he shares is that his, um, his vocation was his vacation. Mm-hmm. He loved what he was doing. And at one point, I think he shared with me when we worked together, like he was, you know, gone 252 mm-hmm. nights out of the year. And I said, you know, Simon, how, how was that from a balance perspective? Wasn't that really difficult? And he said, yeah, it wasn't easy on his family. And he understands that. The good thing that came out of the result of the pandemic is that it was, you know, 14 months whenever I talked to him, he said, this is the longest that I've ever been with my wife or been at home. Um, so if your vocation is your vacation, it's doing what you love. And then naturally, it just the passion, the energy, the motivation probably all just happened. I do want to ask you, Christine, about balance. Because, you know, leading so many of these organizations, was it difficult? And is it difficult? And how do you find balance with I I know your children are in their 20s now, I believe and with your husband of 40 years, was it difficult and is it difficult to maintain a balance of work-life harmony? Uh, You know, I don't know that there is such a thing as balance because sometimes we are completely focused on work. I mean, and and in our business and whether it's running Carnival Cruise Line or at McGettigan or at Clea, I've always traveled for my work. I know Simon Cooper very well, you know, the 200 days a year on the road is, you know, that is something that many of us in business and especially in the travel business just becomes our lifestyle. I've always worked hard to try and maintain balance in that, okay, I, there are things you have to do to get the job done, but then I'm going to carve out time where I'm with my husband or we were with our kids, or they would come along with me. So for example, on Sunday, I have to go to Baltimore. We're starting up our new ship, Carnival Pride. Um, and you know, I wanna be there. We'll welcome the first guests on board, see everybody on, on the ship, the, the captain, the officers, all the crew. Andrew will come with me. I've always uh, talked about how for my kids, there, there, are, there are a lot of sacrifices. You know, I wasn't able to go to every ball game or soccer match or dance recital because sometimes I was on the road. And however, I always made sure that my family knew the people that I work with mm-hmm. and they traveled with me when it was possible so that they could understand what mom was doing when she was away and they you know over over time they were you know just as proud of me as my mom is because they understood that what I was doing made a difference um, that people were counting on me and when I would come home and talk about people that I had been with they knew those people so you know that to me is more about integrating our work into our life as opposed to thinking we can compartmentalize it and keep it so separate that it's not really part of us. And so I think that's the balance is the trick of how do we compartmentalize so that 
we're not always working or thinking about work and we can focus on our family, our friends and make sure that we have that time, yes. but appreciate at this level and in the career I've chosen, your work is very much part of your life and therefore it becomes part of your family's life. Yeah, and I, that was such a brilliant statement that it's really not about balance, it's about integration. Because even when you think about balance, you think about two scales and it, they're two separate things. Your point is it's integration and it's gonna be full. Let me, let me go in front of my face here. It's gonna be full because you are rising it up together. Oh, that is just, and I know people are taking notes and I'm taking notes, Christine. So <laughs> I'm sure that is what people are writing down. It's not about work-life balance or harmony, it's about integration. And, and I'm just curious, and the reason why I'm gonna ask you this next question, uh, I'm about ready to send out my newsletter and I'll make sure that you get a copy of it, you and your team. But um, it's, uh, it, the title is, um, it's about empty nesters, it's about squeezing lemons and filling voids. My son just moved over to the Czech Republic to study film. Oh, no. He's finalizing his film degree there. And in the article that I'm writing the story, I'm blaming myself and my wife because they had been integrated when I was in the hospitality world. They were at 45 hotels by the time they were age 10. And they knew the people that I was working with, to your point, they knew that they were family, they knew that it was important. But I hadn't traveled, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, you know, not unlike Philadelphia. And I hadn't traveled until I was like 16 or 17 to be on an airplane. So I kind of, um, I blame myself. And then we just found out that my daughter wants to, she's accepted an offer to work for Pepsi in Hawaii. Wow. Czech Republic, Hawaii, Washington, DC. <laughs> so the, the question for you, Christine, is um, do your children also have the, the desire and are they in the travel industry? Are they thinking about the travel world? So our daughter, Danielle, is 35 and her dream, I mean, she went to Penn State. Mm -hmm. She thought she wanted to be in business because that's what I did. So she studied business, uh, but then she decided, and I think she's much more like my mom, very, very creative. Mm. She decided uh, that she uh, wanted to go into interior design and construction project management. So she transferred to Drexel University in Philadelphia. Mm. She got her degree there and she wanted to work for Disney as a Disney Imagineer. And from, I was actually born in Orlando, Florida. My Italian grandfather had citrus groves in Florida. So oh. I was born in Orlando and growing up because we used to do so much business in Orlando and so many business meetings and conventions, we would go with our family every year to Disney for vacation time. Mm -hmm. And sometime there would be 30 or 40 of us that would go. And from a little girl, Danielle loved Disney. She wanted to be a Disney Imagineer. And her first job out of Drexel was Disney. And ultimately, uh, she became a Disney Imagineer. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Yeah. So it's, at least it's Orlando and not the Czech Republic, although she is in Germany this week in, in Poppenberg for, for work. And she travels. She travels a lot. Yeah. She traveled with me a lot. And so travel is very 
important and very much part of who she is and, and her life. Now, our son, who is seven years younger, is very different than Danielle in that I wouldn't say he's got the creative gene, but he's probably more like me mm -hmm. in terms of uh, his drive, ambition, and uh, interest in business. So Sean uh, is uh, right now in uh, actually in the Middle East. He is a JAG officer in the army. Wow. Headquartered in Fort Bragg. So he always knew that he um, he's very interested in politics, policy, uh, economics. And so he decided uh, at a young age, uh, he, he actually was a police officer in our beach town here in Cape May for seven summers. Wow. Um, he's worked on a number of political campaigns. He got his undergrad at Temple in Philadelphia and then Villanova Law School and then went right into the military. He married his high school sweetheart <laughs> and they've just had a baby who is three months old. So I'm a grandmother. Oh my gosh, congratulations on all fronts. So it sounds like the political world probably is gonna be in his future. Yes, that's his, yeah. that's, his, that's his goal. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the work that I really, what I did at CLIA mm -hmm. uh, was very much, you know, running a trade association was, was all about policies and, you know, managing in a regulatory environment. The, the cruise industry yeah. is highly regulated. Um, we're actually regulated by the International Maritime Organization in London. Uh, and so I would say on those aspects, it's Sean is much more like me yeah. on the travel side, although he loves he loves great food and 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 wine and probably like your children growing up. My kids had amazing travel experiences. So, you know, you, you do become quite uh, spoiled in some ways for yeah. uh, all the great things that you get from traveling. And in, in what a lovely balance, as you just described, Danielle and Sean, what a lovely balance of you and your husband combined with your mother, you know, and, and I'm sure you are incredibly proud and, you know, please, when Sean listens to this, thank you for your service. That's just critically important. Yeah. The, the next question, Christine, and I just have a few more. Um, can you talk a little bit about the transition when you went from um, Merits to CLIA? So yes, uh, Merits, I'm sure you were involved with group travel, incentive travel. So you were probably booking cruise, the, you know, cruise line for in giving business to the industry. How, how was that transition then? Did you have to then become more of an expert on the cruise line? Can you talk a little bit about that transition? You and know, what you it, it, it's interesting because as you know, Merits acquired McGettigan and, and then ultimately I, I became CEO at Merits and, and went to St. Louis. During the time that I was there, uh, we had the 2008 financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And when President Obama said people shouldn't be taking trips to Las Vegas, our business imploded. Mm -hmm. And as major corporations began canceling meetings, events, incentives of all kind, people wouldn't dare step foot in a Ritz-Carlton, even if it costs less than staying at the, at the Marriott. Mm -hmm. um, our business and our people were very impacted. And I got together with uh, Roger Dow at US Travel, another, a number of other leaders in the industry that I had gotten to know over the years, Simon Cooper being, being one of them, 
Barbara Talbot at Four Seasons, um, you know, many others from the industry who got together to really go to Washington and help policymakers understand mm -hmm. that yeah. travel is an important economic driver. We weren't asking for a bailout. We employ more people than the automotive industry. And we needed policymakers to understand the implications of comments like don't travel mm -hmm. and what that does. Uh, and, and so that was an, a, a really uh, life-changing experience for me because prior to that, I had not been involved at all in government affairs or politics. I was always very involved in in our industry mm -hmm. through MPI and, and you know, other organizations. But that experience and the work that we did ultimately to change the trajectory uh, and have President Obama ultimately sign Brand USA, the first public-private corporation to promote travel into the US, um, really struck me to understand the difference that you can make. But as one of the members of Congress said to me, uh, Congress is like the high school basketball team. You know, you, th there's constantly new players coming in and out and you can't just show up when there's a crisis. You have to be here all the time. You have to be engaged in the process. And in retrospect, I believe our industry had not done a good enough job paying attention to that and thinking that people understood that what, why what we did mattered. Right. Uh, and so I think we learned the hard way but ultimately uh, we came out of that in a good positive way. And that was when, uh, after that experience, I was recruited uh, to come and run CLIA uh, because that job as running the trade association is all about yeah. educating policymakers. And that was a global, uh, we're a global industry, as I said. So at the IMO in London, to Australia, to ultimately testifying before US Congress in the, in the role that I had. Uh, it, it was a tremendous learning experience. And it really didn't have much to do with, you know, booking cruises. Mm -hmm. Now we also had um, 30,000 travel agent members that we provided education and certification for. And of course that role or focus of the role was about uh, about how do we get more people to cruise, but a big part of the job was really managing um, and working with the cruise lines on policy and and the regulatory uh, framework for the industry. Oh, incredible, and thank you for your contributions for all that you did during that time frame. Because yeah, and we know the setback that we're dealing with right now with the pandemic that it affects so many different people. You know, there's a gentleman that that I've been using as a driver, not an expensive driver, but instead of a taxi, he'll pick me up and he'll take me to the airport. Right. And, um, you know, he had to start three other businesses during the time when people were not traveling. And, uh, you know, just recently, I've been able to, to travel again, you know, not doing virtual presentations, doing live presentations. And he is just so grateful because it mm -hmm. does affect so many people. And he has a family of, you know, two children, both of them are in college. Yeah. Um, it, it, can then you also talk just, Christina, a little bit about the transition then from, from CLIA to Carnival? So you were dealing with, you know, policymakers 
economic drivers, you know, kind of lobbying, um, dealing with, you know, Congress people, the political world, and then moving over to Carnival, it was then probably about cruising, correct? Well, you know, I, I was with Clear for four years and the industry went through some very significant um, challenges uh, at, at, during that time. And, you know, my executive committee were the chairman and CEOs of the major cruise lines uh, from around the world. So there were, uh, including, of course, Carnival Corporation. Mm -hmm. And so I think my getting to know them and the work that I did at CLIA when the opportunity came for Carnival Corp to hire a new president based on where the brand was at that time and what they were looking for. Arnold Donald, who had stepped in as a new CEO earlier that year, he had been on the Carnival Corporation board for 13 years. He stepped in as CEO of the corporation. Arnold is African-American. Arnold is, um, you know, very, very well-educated, very accomplished. He's on the board of directors for Bank of America. He was on the board of a number of other companies, started his career in Monsanto. He's from New Orleans, grew up in the Ninth Ward. And, you know, again, to the to the background that, that we talked about, you know, when you grow up in a way where you really understand um, what it's like to not have everything that everybody else seems to have. Um, I think it does it does give you a sense of empathy as a leader. And you know, certainly for Arnold, um, he wanted someone in this role that was going to bring diversity to his team. So the leadership team that reported into Arnold when I joined were all white men. I was the first woman, I'm the first woman uh, to run Carnival Cruise Line. And so, you know, he took a big chance because frankly, while I have had a lot of great success in my career up to that point, I had never worked in a publicly traded company, let alone a company of the breadth and size of Carnival Corporation and a brand the size of Carnival Cruise Line. And so, again, he believed in me and uh, I, I stepped into the role back in, I guess, 2015. Uh, and here I am yeah, six not, years later. Yeah, not looking back and, uh, uh, you know, the, the comments, you know, the publications, the interviews that you have done, you know, congratulations for what you've done with, with Carnival Cruise Lines. Just and I know you're proud and you should continue to be proud because it is just outstanding. Your values, you haven't changed. And a leader told me this recently, when um, they hire someone, they told them, I don't, I hired you for a reason. I adore who you are. Don't ever change a thing about yourself. Don't be different from me. Now mm -hmm. always look to improve and get better, mm -hmm. but we hired you for who you are. And boy, isn't that perfect with what you know as you just described how Arnold selected you you mm -hmm. brought diversity to the team and you had empathy mm -hmm. and you can see when the you know the photos the articles the LinkedIn post you can tell that the team adores you because you are you are still that Philadelphia gal if I may say that that's under five foot four 
making a difference, being kind to people and leading them in a direction that they need to go. Which brings me up to probably my next to last question, if we're okay, if you're okay from a timing perspective, thinking about the culture that that was existing within McGettigan Partners, the culture then that you experience with Merits, um, how are you able to influence, if you're able to influence, the culture of Carnival? You know, in some ways, I think I've been able to influence the culture more at Carnival than anywhere else. I mean, McGettigan was always a family business, uh, as I said, with Norbert and John and Mimi. And, you know, we all sort of grew up together. And the culture that we had at McGettigan came from Norbert McGettigan. And so it was just the way we all work. No matter what needed to be done, you rolled up your sleeves and you did it. Uh, it was very entrepreneurial. And, you know, that was very different than for Maritz, who had been in business 110 years. Again, I was the first woman to come in as president and CEO of Maritz Travel Company. There were a number of people who thought, you know, wait a minute, we bought you through the acquisition of McGettigan. What the heck are you doing here now? But I think Steve Maritz understood his father had passed away early in 2001. They acquired us in 2001. And then three years after we did the integration, he asked me to come and run the company because I think Steve knew that they needed to, they needed fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, the company had been extremely successful for a long period of time, but it was time for change. And so it was a great experience. It was a much bigger organization and the culture was very different. Mm-hmm. Coming to Carnival, the scale is just so significantly bigger. And while we are a publicly traded company, in many ways, we too are a family business because Mickey Arison, who is our chairman, uh, is still involved with the business. He's not only the chairman, but he had the job that I'm in. So obviously, um, you know, he, he grew up in this industry. His father started the company. And so there's still a lot of people that work in the company that were there in those days when, you know, Mickey uh, and his father were, were starting out. Um, but I think the reason I can make, I, I would say that I've made a bigger impact at Carnival is because I focused a lot of my time early on in the one place where I thought I could make a difference, which was getting to know our team members, our crew on the ships. And I think probably because of the way I grew up in my career, I do have a real appreciation for people who are on the front line who make it happen. And um, I think if you grow up that way in an organization, you do have a different level of empathy and appreciation for what it takes and how decisions that we often make at the top, um, we don't always understand the implications and how things filter down. So spending time when I first joined the company, visiting every one of our ships and getting to know our crew and them getting to know me as a real person versus the president is coming to visit. 
I think over time, as I've just continued to stay engaged as much as I can with our team on board, um, has made a difference. And I think that approach has also been visible and is well understood by my leadership team, Shoreside, mm -hmm. who knows that this is the way we manage. This is what makes us a better company and what makes our culture um, so strong. Uh, uh, amazing. And I want to summarize a few things because my next to last question was going to be asking you about what characteristics do you believe are essential in great leaders. In your last three statements, you just listed off a few. So let me summarize them. <laughs> and it's exactly, you know, you shared what you have been doing. And I just want to summarize them for our listeners. And if there's anything else to add, and then I have one more question, but you were talking about focus on what I can make you wanted to focus on things that you knew you could make a difference on. So to me, that's self awareness. And that's something that Simon Cooper and I talked about an awful lot, self-awareness, knowing what you're good at, knowing where you need to surround yourself on. So that was one thing, self-awareness, um, being empathetic and appreciative, um, engaged and visible and real person values. Those are like six or seven things that I think have separated you from so many others as, as a leader of a leader of a publicly traded company. Are there any other characteristics that you would add to there? Then I have one final question. No, I think those, you know, and it's funny because you, you did a good job there summarizing what I, because one of the things I know, because again, I didn't, I didn't go to college. I'm not, I don't have a finance background. Um, I did, uh, you know, I'm not an IT person. Now I've learned a lot along the way, yeah. but I think this point about surrounding yourself with people that are different from you, which is what Arnold did by putting me in this job. Yeah. But I did, you know, when I first joined Carnival, we, a lot of the leadership team turned over and I was able to build a team. And again, we are all very different, but everybody brings something important. And I think the bigger point about empathy is really understanding and authentically believing that every single person that's doing a job is important. Every job is important and everyone is important. And that I think as a fundamental, just sort of foundational going in perspective, if it's authentic is very much appreciated and resonates uh, with the organization and builds trust. I mean, Trust and respect has to be number one, I think, for a leader. If people don't trust you and, and you don't have respect for the work that everyone is doing, I don't think you can be as successful as a company um, as you could with those basic, I guess, principles. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And you are also setting an example for others to follow with the people that you have hired. And I've had conversations with uh, my dear friend, Peggy Bud, Bud, who works on communication and speaking skillfully. She references that um, I don't need to look like you. I don't need to think like you. And that's, if we want to use the word diversity, that's where that really kind of comes to mind. I don't need to look like you. I don't need to think like you. 
I can bring something else to the table. In my opinion, to your point, everyone is important. Every job is important. And when you share that, and you might have heard, you know, stories about people that are going in to interview for a job and, you know, they will ask the receptionist, was this person nice to you on the way in? Did they greet you or did they mm -hmm. ignore you? You know, I'm here to meet with, you know, Mrs. Mm -hmm. Duffy, you know, and, you know, just don't bother me kind of a thing. That's, you know, showing kindness. And, and when you see those people that respect each other, you know, that's going to be a right fit for your company. Um, last question. And again, Christine, I'm so appreciative. What are you most excited about with, with Carnival Cruise Lines? Well, I'm incredibly excited that we're sailing again after 16 months. I mean, there's no other industry that was unable to operate for as long as the cruise industry in mm -hmm. the U.S. So we were incredibly excited on July 3rd to restart our first ship with guest operations from Galveston. And the next day on the 4th of July, out of Miami with Carnival Horizon. And we just continue to restart ships. By the end of the year, we should have at least 17 of our ships back in the water with guests. We have 20, so we won't be at 100% by the end of the year. But um, I think quickly after that, we'll, we'll be back to full operation. Uh, the guests that have sailed with us um, since July have just been uh, so appreciative, so excited to be back cruising, taking a vacation. Um, I think I think everyone's nicer. I think the guests are nicer. The crew is happier. Our crew is so grateful. The people that are back on the ships working are so grateful, so excited to be back. We've been able to provide vaccines to all of our crew members, many of whom would never have access to a vaccine in their home country. Uh, so, and I'm so incredibly proud of the work that our team has done because it has been a tremendous amount of work um, to implement all new protocols for the way we're operating, managing the process of vaccines and unvaccinated and testing and all the requirements that we're following based on the CDC guidance in their no sale order. So I think I'm incredibly excited that we're at this point and that the future is bright. We're taking, uh, we, we finally were able to restart our brand new ship Mardi Gras out of Port Canaveral. She's the first liquefied natural gas propulsion ship uh, in North America. She's also the first ship with a roller coaster. Wow. And uh, so that was incredibly exciting. We're going to get ready to uh, do the official naming and christening of the ship. And, uh, and then we've got another new ship that we'll deliver next year is our 50 year anniversary for Carnival Cruise Line. So we're going to have a big year long birthday party. Uh, but I believe very much that the future is is bright and uh, you know we still every day bring some new challenge or something unexpected but like you said we're bamboo and we're flexible and you know our team has learned that whatever we decide today may be different tomorrow and we'll just adjust as needed incredible incredible and christine again i'm so grateful to be able to have this chance to be able to talk to you there are so many new things that I learned about you 
you as an individual, you as a mother, you as a wife, you as a daughter, you as a leader, you as a friend, tremendous, tremendous information. And I know our our close to uh, 20,000 listeners will certainly appreciate all of these things. And, you know, as I was asking you questions about yourself, you can tell that it was not as comfortable. You're a little bit reserved. And then as soon as I asked you about Carnival, it was like, <laughs> let me tell you about this. Like, you know, so you are such a, an incredible, humble lady and leader that it is so very appreciated. So um, again, this is uh, Christine Duffy, president of Carnival Cruise Line, a tremendous leader, uh, visionary, has the same values from when she grew up in Philadelphia, influenced by her mother and by so many, and she is continuing to lead and engage and inspire 43,000 plus employees and so many others, um, not only at Carnival Cruise Line, but in the industry. So Christine, so grateful. Any other closing thoughts? No, I just, you know, I'm very, very excited, as you can see, you tell about yeah. our, our people and our, and our company and, uh, you know, what we do matters. I mean, it makes a difference. You know, sometimes people have said, well, it's not like, you know, you're not curing cancer. No, we're not. We are big supporters of St. Jude's. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but we also help people create memories that last a lifetime and bringing families and people together. We sail more military than any other cruise line. We honor our military service members on every cruise with a tribute. We do a lot of things that are very authentic um, and make a difference in people's lives. And so for me, that's what's so wonderful about the work that we do. So when we talk about balance, integrating the values that I have personally uh, and, and knowing that the values that we have at Carnival, they're consistent and they're aligned. So that makes work, um, as, as Simon said, our vocation becomes our vacation. Outstanding. Again, Christine Duffy, president of Carnival Cruise Line. I am an even bigger fan of yours right now <laughs> and of your companies. So again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Bart. Great to talk to you.